Hello and welcome to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported LA Review of Books. I'm your host, Eric Newman, the Gender and Sexuality Editor at LARB, and I'm joined in the studio today by LARB's Managing Editor, Medea Ocher, and LARB Editor-at-Large, Kate Wolf. Hi. Hello. Hi. So, <laughs> 2018 is almost behind us, and what a year it was. <laughs> so, obviously, I'm here with Medea and Kate, and uh, we want to kind of review our favorite books, movies, gossip, shows, and more from this year. So, I'll refer to my boss, managing editor Medea Ocher. What topic should we tackle first? Oh, I didn't realize I would have to make such a difficult decision. I don't know. Should we do... Well, on my list, I have movies. Yeah, I was mm. just okay. go down Which the list. Like, yeah, just yeah. let's go down the list. I, so, yeah, let's do movies first. Kate, you want to start? Sure. I have to give a big disclaimer for all my selections that this year wasn't my most culturally active year. <laughs> I spent a lot of time walking around my neighborhood with a little infant on myself, trying to sleep, not being able to, housebound, just didn't get out that much. So It won't always be like that, no, of course. I, this, you know I, that. I'm hoping yeah. this is a low, low point. So when I'm going to choose my movie, it's, it's not anything that was really in theaters because I saw one movie this year, which Paddington was... Um, Paddington 2, Paddington 2, no, Paddington 2. It was A Star is Born, which really oh, okay, was a great okay. experience. I really enjoyed it, but I can't say it was my favorite movie of the year. That's fair. So I went to... One of the only other times I left my house at night was to see something at the UCLA television and film archive that mm. screens at the Hammer at the Billy Wilder Theater. And that was a retrospective that happened in, in December here in LA of a filmmaker named Barbara Hammer. You oh, guys are familiar yes, with I her. know about, yeah, yeah. She uh, was born in 1939. She's made over 80 films. She's just like this amazing amalgam of someone who makes experimental film, but is not dry and formalistic is right. hilarious is just Dyke Tactics was her first mm-hmm. film is also considered one of the first lesbian films she has yeah a, I was gonna say we should say that she's very influential in terms of lesbian and feminist filmmaking yeah so yeah yeah and and also just surprising sensuous hilarious style so I have only seen a few of her films at this point but that screening that I went to was in November and there's lots of other films that were screened here in LA and she was there and um yeah so that was that was my choice the night that I attended was called Prismatic Autobiography mm. and it was a selection of a few of her films that have recently been redone or not redone but pre- preserved archived so um and there, and a lot more are coming and She's just such an interesting figure that I was excited to finally get to see some of her films and see her talk. And so that was my That's best. That's a great one. That was my best film. That's a good that one. seems worth it. Yeah. In terms of leaving your house. That, that night, actually, I, I didn't sleep that well. But oh. it was worth it. <laughs> a little bit of culture goes a long way the next yeah. morning. So that was worth it. Okay. So I, my movie, my best movie of the year is Roma by Alfonso Cuarón. Oh, I, I don't seen know if it. you guys have seen it yet. Not yet. It just snuck in at the very end of this year, and it's going to be on everybody's best of list, so this is not going to be very exciting. But it is a film by Alfonso Cuarón who made Gravity, which I I should say I hated. Ah. Yeah, I didn't like Gravity Barely, like, made it through. Is that the one with Sandra Bullock? It's Sandra Bullock floating through space, missing her daughter. It makes no sense. But, you know, other people seem to like it. But this movie, this movie is... And some people called it a masterpiece. I would not use that term lightly. Mm. It is truly a masterpiece. Yeah. It is 
one of the most beautiful movies maybe that I've ever seen. The reviews are rapturous. Yeah. It it follows a maid in Mexico City who lives with a, a big bourgeois family and with, you know, I think about five kids. And it's her day-to-day life with this family, taking care of these kids, taking care of the adults as well in many ways. And aside from it just being beautiful, this is going to sound a little bleak, but it also... I think conveyed one of the one of the things that felt most true to me <laughs> when I saw a film this year. And this is going to be a little dark, but <laughs> it's okay. So there's one scene in this movie that I thought was particularly amazing in both its like truthfulness and the way it, it kind of hit home with me, which is when the mother of the family, she comes home drunk and she corners the maid, the main character of the film, and she looks at her and she goes, women are always alone. And then the rest of the movie essentially, I think, follows <laughs> follows through with that statement. And it is maybe a, a dark message to go away with, but it felt, it felt real and it felt proven over and over in the various scenes. And it's been a dark year. It's been, that may be appropriate for this year. It's been a dark year. Yeah. The funny part is that when I I went with some friends to see this movie and then I was so obsessed with this one line, women are always alone. And I just kept repeating it to everybody (laughs) that they then made a bunch of uh, little memes for me, which is like a picture of my dog. And then underneath it says women are always alone. (laughs) So it, so it, it did come out with something nice, which is now I have a picture of Dora wearing a butterfly costume. Dora is my dog. Her Halloween costume this year was a butterfly. And underneath that picture, it says, women are always alone. Oh, I know, but so <laughs> That's true. a great one. Yeah, I like it. So Roma by Alfonso Cuaron. <laughs> okay, so this, my partner and I see probably an average of about two movies every week. So I saw, wow. yeah, it's like a sickness. We also, we live like within walking distance of four theaters. Uh. So and we have passes to several of them. So there was this was hard for me to narrow down. So I have two, both of which were at mainstream theaters. So the first of them, also dark, is Hereditary, directed by Ari Aster. Also um, about women being alone. Also about women being alone. Told you. Slash also possessed by demons, and it was a. I don't even know how to frame this. Basically, it's a story. The protagonist is Tony is played by Tony Collette in what should be an Oscar worthy performance. The only other Oscar I would definitely give out right now is to Glenn Close in The Wife because that movie was incredible. Unreal. It is so lucky for Glenn Close that Eric Newman decides the Oscars. (laughs) Yeah, I wish. I wish. And her eyes should get Best Supporting Actor. Um, Agreed. But in any event, so um, Hereditary focuses on a mother played by Toni Collette, like I said, amazing, who is dealing with the recent loss of her own mother and then through a series of really bizarre events, loses her youngest daughter. So she's reeling from grief, and then demonic possession becomes a part of it. And this was the movie that had literally everybody in my friend set saying, Hail Paimon to everything, which is Paimon is the demon that is... Wait, is this giving too much away? Is this a spoiler alert? Is that a spoiler? Well, but come on, it's the end of the year. Everybody should have already seen it. You're right, no spoilers. Al- no spoiler alerts right now. Yeah. Um, Sorry, everybody. So anyways, so this is what had literally everybody in my friend group saying Hail Paymon to everybody, and which is the name of the demon that possesses someone Wait. in the film, and I won't give it away. Also a little weird is Paymon is the name of my insurance agent. Huh? What? Really? Yes, Hail Paymon. He did a good mm. job this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay, so my the other movie that I have, which I would encourage everyone to see, um, and it has an interesting kind of literary tie-in, is director Mariel Heller's film, Can You Ever Forgive Me?, which is about Lee Israel, a very famous, uh, well, infamous, I guess, kind of literary letters forger. 
and she's played by Melissa McCarthy, who is delightful. And it's so great to be able to see her show uh, McCarthy kind of show some range beyond. I mean, I love her anyways in all the other movies, but this was like, oh, she can do more than just kind of slapstick humor. It's like she could be funny, witty, also kind of sad and in a way. And I just loved not only the New York that that film brings forth, but also just the kind of frustrations of being an author who's not making it and who's just trying anything she can in order to make the rent in New York City. So I just loved it. All right. Should we do books? Books next, everybody? Yes. All right. Medea, why don't you start with books? Okay. My book, my choice for this year is Call Me Zebra by Azarine van der Vliet Illumi, which came out at the beginning of this year. I think it came out last January, but still 2018. So it I made it. Call Me Zebra is the second novel by Azarine, and it follows, or it's about a young woman named Bibi Abbas Abbas Hussein, who is the last in a line of autodidacts, anarchists, and atheists, and whose family leaves Iran by way of Spain. She then finds herself in New York, and you know all kinds of crazy antics ensue. And it's such a smart. It's just such a smart book. It's has this insane manic energy and the the character is so erudite and so incredible. I mean, one of the things she prides herself on is being extremely well-read and the book itself is so well-read. It's just such an impressive book. Um, and I didn't want to forget it at the end of this year. Yeah. And we also have um, listeners should check back in our archives because we have an interview with Azarine. That's right. Yeah. We did talk to her at the beginning of this year and I'm still a fan. Okay. Mm. Okay, well, I, I haven't read this one book that I'm most excited that actually came out this year, <laughs> which is More Stories from Lucia Berlin. Oh. Uh, it's called Evenings in Paradise and also a memoir called Welcome Home. Those both just came out. So I'll bookmark those as books I'm really excited to read. But the book that I'm going to choose actually came out right at the tail end of last year. Still counts. So I think it still counts. Uh, we were going to have the editor of this collection called How We Get Free, uh, Kianga Yamada Taylor, on our show. And I was so looking forward to speaking with her. Same. And this is a book that kind of comes out around the 40th anniversary of the Combahee River Collective mm-hmm. manifesto. And you know, that was my first introduction to reading the manifesto. And it was just, I mean... We're talking about a dark year, you know, where all my political um, interests have become more finely tuned and where things actually hit me in a way that maybe a couple of years ago might have seemed more theoretical and now yeah. seem just, you know, like you're reading something that's going to give you the answer. Just to, feel real. Yeah. yeah. So this was a book and Kianga's analysis in the beginning was very helpful and um, I was excited to learn about her and just, you know, the Kamehameha River Collective, they're famous for coining the term identity politics mm-hmm. and I, even though they didn't coin the term intersectionality, the, their statement has a lot of you know, it's written from a perspective of intersectional oppression and, you know, intersectional fighting for for yourself also means fighting for others. Exactly. And the, the Kambahu River Collective is a kind of our first black lesbian feminist um, political statement. I mean, so and Audre Lorde was a part of all right. of that. And yeah, I agree. That was a great, great book. Yeah, it was, I was so happy to read it. And it's just the kind of thing where once you learn about it, you know, of course, I knew about Audre Lorde, but some other members, then, sure. then you start to see them everywhere and they're popping up. So I, I felt like it was um, good for my conscious raising, which is needed for me these days. And it made me feel 
feel good to read. So I feel that for sure. Yeah. So similar to Kate, actually, I spent most of this year, which feels like it happens every year, trying to catch up on all the books I meant to read the year before. And those included like my favorites from, from that list were Min Jin Lee's Pachinko and Andrew Sean Greer's kind of gay romance less, both of which I really, really enjoyed. But two books, actually, that I loved that were published this year. One is Rebecca Mackay's The Great Believers, which we also have an interview with Rebecca. And I love that because it was it's an AIDS novel, of which there are obviously many, many in a long history, but it told that story from a very different vantage point. It talks about the, the kind of human experience of the AIDS crisis, but primarily oriented around the experience of a straight female friend and also sister of many of the men who died. So talking about how that kind of transgenerational trauma, how it messed up her relationship with her daughter in the present, and just kind of beautifully chronicles like all of the relationships that we both kind of lost in that era and the lives that we lost in that era, but also just like the beauty and madness of them all creating art together, which I really liked. The other one is a little bit more heady, which is Jeffrey C. Stewart's The New Negro, The Life of Elaine Locke. Just briefly about this one, I loved it because it's a steadfast look at the queerness of one of the Harlem Renaissance's founding, well, as they said, founding midwives, but founding figures. And it's just, it's beautifully written. It's narratively interesting and also historically interesting. Just loved it. I think you recommended that in a book review. I think I did. Yeah. I've literally been telling (laughs) everybody about this book. I also noticed that book won an award. Am I right? A big award. It might've won the National Book Award. I do not know for sure, but it would not surprise me because it has gotten a lot of buzz. Great Believers also nominated for National Oh, I saw that. Yeah. 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 And a notable book of the year from the New York Times. (gasps) Looks like you can hand out Oscars and Book Award. Oh, Eric. Nice. (laughs) Okay. Next. Next. Okay. Next I have best podcasts. I'm out, I think. My podcast taste is so lame and <laughs> gross, and I'm actually trying to run away from all the political podcasts it's that I mostly gross. listen to. So is that – so it's you listen like, to dirty podcasts? No, or? no, 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 no. I shouldn't have said that. It's not gross. It's just kind of lame. It's like Meet the Press. Do you like listening oh. to Meet the Press? Is Meet the Press a podcast? They do an audio-only version. Because yeah, I like to watch Meet the to. Press, I have to admit. <laughs> I, I would also be kind of interested in listening to Meet the Press. I would, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. This is not okay, the audience that's, for okay, you. That's, that's my fine, recommendation. That's Meet the Press. The, the longest running show in TV history, by the way. Wow. And now a podcast. And now a podcast. So I'm glad strong. to learn about that. But you have great podcast recommendations. Well, that's Kate, the one thing like where I think I can shine because that is, like I said, I spent so much of my time walking an infant trying to make him sleep. So I did listen to a lot of podcasts this year. But uh, the thing that I feel sad about is I used to listen to so much music when I was walking. You know, in my younger yeah, days yeah. when I would mm. take walks with my Walkman, I would be listening to music, rapturous, looking at the landscape and hearing the sound and feeling so good. And now I just like listen to people talk, which seems a little less transcendent. Yeah. yeah. But so my favorite podcast of the year is about music. Oh. So it combines okay. two passions and it's called Lost Notes. It was on KCRW. Mm. I think it's coming back. And it's these stories, these kind of like obscure stories of music history. Mm. So they had a great great episode about a pirate radio station that was really popular in the 90s in I think either Brooklyn 
Brooklyn or New York proper, or Manhattan, called W Bad. It was a hip-hop station, and it's just this story about people who had this passion for being hip-hop DJs. And so the, the show includes a lot of good cuts, and then there's just, it's a crazy story about how they were shut down. And they also had a great story I listened to recently about McDonald's put out these flexi discs, I guess, in the 80s. They put out 88 million flexi discs, and it was a like a sweepstakes where on one flexi disc, there was a complete song. On all the other flexi discs, there was only like a partial song. And then, and then on one, there was a complete song. Oh, it was the McDonald's menu. So on one, there was only a partial one. On the, and on one single flexi disc, there was the complete McDonald's menu sung. And whoever got that flexi disc won a million dollars. Whoa. What? So it's tracking the story of the person who won that flexi disc who lives in... Um, somewhere in the south but it and it was just it's a great story so it combines music and narrative it's just delightful i love listening to it wait what's it called again it's called lost notes it's on kcrw sounds really good great great radio journalism yeah check it out what about you dale i also have kind of basic tastes in podcasts but my favorite podcast of the year okay the serious one is caliphate which mm. did you guys listen to that? I've heard of it. But I heard I have it. Not so it's it was great. the New York Times. It's it's great. Most people have heard of it, so I'm not going to tell you guys about it. But just go go listen to it a little bit. Or so it it's a reporter, a New York Times reporter, who begins to investigate ISIS, and then goes up to Canada to meet a young man who said that he had in fact uh, joined ISIS and had come back to Canada after spending time with with the group, and you know she sort of. There was some controversy about her taking documents out of Syria, I believe, and whether she had the right to do that. But the the podcast is fascinating. It's truly fascinating and highly recommended. And then my other two podcasts are the fun ones, and one of them is The Read, which I recommend to everybody always. Oh, that is a great podcast, yeah. Is it Read, R-E-E-D, or R-E-A-D? A-D. But it's not at all about reading, as the Los Angeles Review of Books is about reading. It is about... It's about reading. Like that, right. (laughs) It's about doing a read. Yeah. Eric, wait, can you explain... Maybe well, so reading, you like, just, to, like you just it's, it's like it in a they're, they're like, oh, sorry, it's the snap, but it's like they're dishing on they're like dishing. the the news of the day, on celebrity kind of dust ups and feuds. I've learned more about the Kardashians by listening <gasps> mm-hmm. to that podcast than I ever cared to, but I loved what I learned while I was listening to them. It's like, so dish. fun. It's it's hosted by two two people, Kid Fury and Crystal, mm-hmm. and they're they're both hilarious. And I just listened to them talk about their take on the. Bush funeral, which they did not care for because it stopped mail and they wanted to receive their packages, which seems totally legit. So the read is great. And then my other one is Who Weekly. Um, Oh, I haven't listened to that. Oh, Who Weekly is a podcast about B-list celebrities. <gasps> oh, oh my God. That sounds great. And it's not even B-list. What it's, it's what you want, Kate. It's not even yes. B-list. It's like C to Z list. Mm. Is there a whole episode on Natasha Leone? <gasps> well, you know, no. How, why she's would you a, say that? She's B-list. She is not B-list. I like not her. Anymore, that baby. Mean I not don't anymore. Like her. Okay. She's off She's list. risen. She's, she's like r- off-list, like legit. Right? Off-list. I think she's I risen back to A-list. I, I can't believe you would call it Natasha Leone B-list. All right. This I'm B-list sorry, doesn't but... imply that I don't enjoy them. No, of course. But I'm just talking about star star caliber. Star power. Yeah. Huh. We can we can talk about that later, but sorry. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll fight, we'll fight this out. <laughs> yeah. Kate um, and I will just see ourselves out and fight in the in I'm going to give Natasha Leone an Oscar this year. I don't okay, know about All right, you, all right. 
And Who Weekly, it's great because you can also call in and leave them a message and ask them, who is this person? You can give them a name. You can say, who is Natasha Leone? I've never heard of her before. Don't know who this person is. 100% would never happen. Would I'll never happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And then they will answer your question on the show. And they will go in deep into this person's history, into their Instagram posts, into whoever they've been with in the past. It's very, very fun. It is absolutely useless information in every possible sense, but just a great time. That sounds so great. Wow. I yeah. have so many people that I would recommend that I want to know what is happening to them now. Exactly. Who Weekly. There you go. That's your answer. Sounds great. That's awesome. Okay, wait. Can we talk about TV? Yes. Okay. Because that Let's was definitely a big part of my life in 2018. And my... Okay. First of all, I want to continue to shout out Baskets, which is the Zach Galifianakis oh. show. And that, I primarily watch that for Louis Anderson, who has done something truly incredible with his portrayal of Christine Baskets, the matriarch of this kind of Bakersfield family. And it is just... There are so many women that I know that are in that performance. And it is, it's marvelous and heartbreaking and heartwarming all at the same time. So that bracketed. Wait, Baskets is still happening? Yeah. Okay. This is the third season. Good to know. The other show that I discovered this year and just went right through it in a full binge watch um, was this show Atypical, which is on Netflix. I believe it's a Netflix only show. And it follows a guy who ha a teen who has autism mm. and it's kind of the show, but it makes it very funny. So it's just hysterical, like the kind of ways that he sees the world, which are also it almost feels like a kind of psychological Seinfeld, where it's like people kind of responding with like very little social decorum, but also in that way with 100% honesty. And the show is also heartwarming, has a kind of queer character in there that I won't spoil, but I cannot wait for the next season. 100% recommend. Kate? I chose to interpret best shows as opposed to television as art shows, because mm. I don't really watch television except for my dirty secret. What is your dirty it's secret? It's not a dirty secret. It could be on Who Weekly. I mean, that's why I, that's why I relate to Who Weekly is that I like to watch the Kardashians. Mm. Once a week, it puts me in touch with some, you know, my formative childhood in L.A., basically. It feels very familiar. So that is your TV show. In a sense. That, yeah, that's one, my, one, my one consistent television show. Otherwise, I don't like smart TV. I'd rather read. I know oh, that I... puts me at odds with that's the, okay. the cultural zeitgeist. Yeah. But so, okay, my... Again, I didn't go to many art shows this year. It's hard to take a kid to art shows. But one that I went to recently that I was really impressed by was um, the Laura Owens survey that's currently at MOCA. Mm. I am um, a fan of Laura Owens' work. I loved her project here in L.A. in Boyle Heights, the 356 Mission, which was an amazing place to see art, to hear talks, to see performances. It was a Kunsthal-style space that she ran with couple of other people that sadly closed this year and I believe it was open maybe since 2012 but that was an incredible space and she is an ambitious artist and that's something that I really took away from her show at MOCA is just how much she tries she you know she's primarily a painter but she paints and she'll make clocks she'll make you know these crocheted letters paintings she'll she'll do many things she references the internet and um the kind of visual effects of the internet and interprets them through painting in a way that even though there's so much post internet art sure. around it I actually think is very unique mm. because it's it's more concentrated visually than kind of 
you know, some kind of signif- like cultural signifiers. It's actually more about how you experience optically certain things online that feels like kind of uncanny where you're like, oh, my God, I, I guess I have been seeing that for the last 10 years, but I haven't noticed it until I saw it. She's just an exciting artist. And I know she's very popular, but um, seeing the show, just, I was recharged by And what's the name one more time? It's just called Laura Owens. Laura Owens. And, and it's at MoCA now. It was at the Whitney. It was, you know, she's controversial because 356 was picketed by mm. lots of anti-gentrification. Oh, okay. Boyle Heights people. It's a complicated story. Oh, I now remember the compl- story. And it's actually yeah. a really fascinating story because there's not, I can't say I, I see a clear side of this story and it's complex and there's, you can read a lot about it online. They were accused of whitewashing Boyle Heights. But right. that aside, that has nothing to do with her own artwork. And I, I think she's a really exciting painter and she's, it's just impressive. So have you check seen the um, Adrian Piper retrospective? At I the cannot Hammer? wait, but no, I haven't. It yet. is so good. That yeah. is one of my favorite art shows from this year. I also saw the Lauren Owens show at the Whitney, and it was so good. Also, an amazing thing about that show is that the books that she put out yeah. were all one of a kind. So there wasn't just one particular book from the show. Every book that you could purchase at the Whitney bookstore was a one of a kind book. It was amazing. Mm. It's free on the weekends for local listeners. Oh, yeah. It's true. Yeah, my favorite show, art show this year was Adrian Piper. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's such a good show. The thing that I love most about it is the the mirrors at the end. Did Mm. you guys see the mirrors? Mm -hmm. Well, and so these are mirrors that you look into as one might into a mirror. And on them, it says, everything will be taken away. And I just thought that was absolutely the most horrifying thing I had ever seen, but also spoke to me as, you know, women are alone speaks to me. So it's just, it's a great show. Yeah. And it also, one of the things that fascinated me about that show, which I had not thought about um, in terms of Piper's work, is that it contextualizes her kind of philosophical study um, and a lot of the work that she did on Kant and, and other Enlightenment philosophers with her art practice as it kind of develops over the course of her career, which was fascinating to see. And she's such a fun figure because some of her work is philosophical, as you say, Eric, and then some of it is is her teaching people how to dance. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she's, she's great. Um, and then my TV pick of the year is, like Kate, I don't really watch TV aside from The Bachelor. So my favorite TV show was The Bachelor. It's the only one I watched. It was awful. But, um, <laughs> but in a rewarding way. <laughs> but it was way. your favorite. Yeah. But it was my favorite, and I watched it every week, and I really can't wait for the next one where the virgin, Colton Underwood, is the next Bachelor. Ooh. He's yeah. a virgin. He is indeed a virgin. Or, you know, maybe not. I don't know. Right. But that's the story. That's the plot line. Right. Uh, he's Speaking a, of, uh, let's talk about our favorite gossip stories from this year. Ooh, someone told let's me you're a virgin. It. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <Sorry>. well... Uh, <laughs> I plead the fifth <laughs> many times. Um, uh, so what was your favorite gossip from this year? Okay, my favorite gossip from this year. First, I should say, w- when I was talking about it with my husband, he was like, oh, best gossip of this year is the Mueller investigation. Ooh. <laughs> Which mm, yeah. is, is, seems like a smart answer. It is not my answer. Best gossip of the year, I think, is a tie between Grimes, Azealia Banks, oh, and Elon yes. Musk. Yes. And the complete total absurdity and lunacy of that entire situation and then the feud between Cardi B and Nikki 
Uh, oh, what was the, That's the time. Azealia Banks tie-in with the uh, Elon Musk? I didn't follow. Okay. That. She's waiting in a car outside of no, Elon Musk. No, she's in house. his house. So, okay, this is this is the gossip. Try to for, give us the short version. I'll do the short version, which time. is Azealia Banks is in Elon Musk's house. Nobody knows why she is live tweeting her experience or live Instagramming it saying I'm in Elon Musk's <laughs> house. Nobody's here. Grimes is supposed to meet me. Grimes isn't here. Everybody's like, what is happening? Why is Elon Musk dating Grimes, who's an independent, like, indie musician, is yeah. how I would call her. Yeah. She's popular, but, you know, not who I think Elon Musk would date. Um, and then there's, like, a whole back and forth between Azela Banks and Grimes that's, on, that's text messages that become public, where Grimes is talking about having a baby with Elon Musk. Azealia Banks is going to have a baby at the same time. <laughs> oh, my God. It's the best. Wow. And this was also in the midst of Elon Musk, I think. Star- it w- no, it was right before when he had his breakdown. Yeah. Where he, right. I when think, he like, smoked, smoked a blunt smoked with, like, Joe Rogan on, like, yeah. on Joe Rogan's uh. show. But then he also, Azealia Banks, I think, said that he's high on LSD, yeah. and that's why he's not here. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of don't remember anything that happened, but it was such a weird, like, trip of a news story. I loved it. I also, and I take so much crap for this, but I love Azealia Banks. She's she's out there, I give you, but it's like, I am just here for almost all of it. Yeah. And then the Nikki and Cardi feud. Yeah. Oh, uh, Team Cardi, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Mm. Although, you know, Nikki Uh, Queens, I don't know. It's hard. It's true. True. Kate takes no position. She's Switzerland. (laughs) I don't don't totally know about this. I heard about (laughs) it a little bit, but... There was a baby involved. That's what someone told me about it. Oh yeah, there's okay. sort of a baby involved. I thought there was, but a baby called Culture. Well, for Cardi B because she just broke up actually with. Um, oh, her, her baby dad. Yeah. Wait, actually though, if you say that a baby called Culture was involved, that's kind of metaphorically amazing. That's yeah, it's so beautiful. Um, yes, there is a baby involved called Culture. Okay, so my gossip for this year is I loved, loved, loved reading this piece, um, very well-reported piece in the LA Times by Melissa Chadburn and Carolyn Kellogg about Anna March, who is Anna this, March. Yeah, it's like a, so Anna March is like an interesting story. She's basically a literary scene scammer. She kind of exploded onto the LA literary scene, started setting up like lots of, I guess, kind of like um, like writers programs and stuff, and through a lot of glitzy events and became kind of the toast of literary LA. But then it turns out she like wasn't paying anybody and everything was something of a sham. So Melissa Chadburn particularly, but also with some help from Carolyn Kellogg, kind of tracks down this story. And I think even today, after all of this, her fraud and various identities have come out, the woman who was Anna March um, is still pitching herself as a literary consultant, which I find kind of interesting. Though she's great at fiction, so there's that. But Wait, what, did you ever go to any of her parties? Uh, I don't think I have, but literally every person that I know in LA's literary communities, variously imagined, has some kind of Anna March story. Yeah, I remember going to one of those parties and I was like, who is Anna March? I did you go to the one at the Ace is. Hotel? Yeah. Yeah. That one's mentioned in the piece. It and is. apparently yeah, was like a landmark it's, moment. And it's also funny because there's no money in literature. So how did this woman not only manage to scam people out of money, yeah. but manage somehow to build a system in which she gets money from 
literary pursuits. It's crazy. I mean, it is also kind of, to me, a story about how enthusiasm and trust go a really long way in the literary community, you know, because it's like it's small. It's like there's not a lot of like people always circulating about that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyways, loved, loved, loved that story. Yeah, it's a good one. I don't know if this is gossip. I thought this was this is maybe like a fraud story a little bit or something unsolved. But um, there was a recent piece in New York Magazine. It's really popular. It was called The Haunting of 657 Boulevard, mm. mm-hmm, Westfield. And that story <clears throat> is crazy. It's amazing. Just a quick recap. These people bought this house and they started getting all these creepy notes in their mail that from someone saying that, they were watching and the house would return to their family and they didn't want to move in and no one knows what happened. And some people thought that the the people who had bought the house were actually to, you know, to blame and they were, it was a fraud and it, it's very ambiguous. And of course, to me, I'm someone who is kind of like a weird neighborhood watcher, creeper. <laughs> oh, um, it was you sending those <laughs> Well, recently I thought, oh, this could be a good tactic. <laughs> I have a neighbor who moved into this old house that used to be lived in by this cat woman, this oh. fascinating cat woman, and they leave their lights on all the time. I mean, day and night, the lights are on. During the day, every light in the house is on. And I thought, oh, maybe I could to pull a watcher on them and yeah. just start sending them. <laughs> because you're worried about their bills? <laughs> or Not like their climate bills. change? I mean, I'm sure it doesn't. Their their doesn't lights help. aren't hurting the climate. It just seems a little. They also have no blinds because they just moved in. So it's oh. like, whoa, come on. It's okay to be bothered by other people's lights. I agree. Drives me crazy. Yeah, I don't know. So I I was taught not not to waste. So, but um, yeah. So I've been watching them, and uh, I've thought of the watcher story and just the, this kind of neighborhood dynamics and the and the weird people's own self interest that comes into play, like living in a community. Yeah. Which I can t- attest to. So, yeah, I loved that story. It was, it was so amazing. I heard it's going to be a series. Of course. It is. Like, ev- like every story New York Magazine publishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. so I think we're going to wrap up with what we want to get more into in the next year. Eric, what are you um, going to get into? Okay, two things. One, I want to get back into making and to learn how to make them well, making meringues, mm. which is a little bit random. But it's <laughs> Very like, niche. It's Well, it's like the most simple thing. We've been watching a lot of the Great British Baking Show, and so that's like probably one of the only things that I feel like I could confidently make consistently and also gives me an excuse to use that KitchenAid stand mixer that always is just collecting dust in my kitchen. The other thing that I want to do, which sounds very not me, but I want to get into weightlifting, <laughs> which um, which I'm is already underway. And I currently have Dom's Hardcore, which is delayed onset muscle soreness, if you have it, which is why I have like T-Rex arms. I can't actually like totally extend my arms right now. Oh. But so looking forward to a healthier, sweller and swoller me. She wants to watch Pumping Iron. Oh, I will. It's really I will. Fun. Okay. Yeah. Kate, what are you going to do? I'm going to get into marionettes more this next year. I love everything about this. Can you please explain <laughs> I'll, why? I'll tell you. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry to just keep on bringing up things that closed this year, but Bob Baker Marionette Theater, uh, the oldest ongoing marionette oh. theater in the country, just closed. They're going to reopen in a different location, but the current location closed, and I loved going there. Because it's a very strange place. It's very kitschy. It's very uh, dirty. And it just, you can, the, the stain of, of age is everywhere. And there are drawings everywhere. And just, it's it's like a really creative, funky, fun space. It, it's amazing. It, or it was. And puppet shows are so fun. Even though, the, you know, they don't hide the people who are mm-hmm. controlling the puppets. So it becomes a kind of b- beautiful, aesthetic 
spectacle to watch the way people move puppets. You know, they're as much oh, a yeah. part of the show as the puppets. And then to see, you know, to see the certain movements they're able to to bring about is is really impressive and fascinating. But and Bob Baker was an interesting figure. He was kind of like a cheeky, campy guy. And so there's a lot of like subtle raunch in the in the show and um I don't know. And 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 in our current political times, I'm thinking, oh, maybe maybe puppets are the way to go. Well, like you're going to you're going to make your own puppets and No, but maybe you're go to maybe I can have a good outlet for some of my frustration, you know, instead of doing something illegal, maybe which I can just do. go to, you know, which is what sometimes I think about doing. I can just go to a puppet show, watch something happen in a puppet show. This seems perfectly reasonable. And and I can bring my child there, too, and he'll enjoy it. So, Yeah. I think that sounds great. That does sound amazing. What about you, Dale? Two things. I'm going to, well, as Kate was saying earlier, I feel like I don't listen to music anymore because I I listen to podcasts all the time. Mm. And sometimes I find myself not even just thinking, I'm like, oh, my God, I've not listened to any kind of music for weeks. Just listen to people talking. So I want to get into music. Is that That's a very broad category, but... That's okay. I'll start sharing my cardio playlist with you. Please do. Mm-hmm. And then I can work on my arms, too. Sounds great. And then my second thing is... I want to read old books again because I read a lot of contemporary literature and a lot of contemporary nonfiction, mostly for work, obviously. Mm-hmm. But recently I was thinking about, well, I'm going to go on a long trip soon and I am exclusively going to take 18th, mm, no, let's say 19th century novels with me. Oh, interesting. And I cannot wait. Well, you probably only need one because they're real <laughs> yeah, long. Exactly. <laughs> it's true, but what if I'm I'm so excited and, and I get through Tenant of Wildfell Hall in just <laughs> mere days, and then I can get going on Wings of a Dove? Ooh. Oh, man. Doesn't this sound you soothing know what? and I great? W- I will commit to reading a Henry James novel with you Great. Um, over this next year. Love Henry James. I will, too. Okay. So with that... All right, so I guess Happy that's Happy New Year, it. everybody. To you in Happy 2019, Year, Henry James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to a Henry James 2019. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to us in all of 2018, and we look forward to bringing you amazing new shows, writers, filmmakers, and artists of all stripes in 2019. See you then. This has been Eric Newman, Medea Ocher, and Kate Wolf talking to you about our favorites from this past year. Thanks for listening. fundraising season at LARB, and we hope we can count on your support. We know that you love great literature as much as we do. That's why LARB works with both prominent emerging authors to bring you the best new essays, reviews, and interviews on literature, art, politics, and everything in between. To support more great new writing and thought, please consider making a donation this holiday season to the Los Angeles Review of Books. As a nonprofit organization, we depend on the support of listeners and readers like you. And there's never been a better time to donate. A generous anonymous donor has committed to matching up to $100,000 in donations made between now and midnight December 31st. So please, if you can, consider making a donation and a contribution to support the great writing, the great shows, the great events that the Los Angeles Review of Books puts on. We are so grateful for readers and listeners like you. 
You've been listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like the show, leave us a comment and tell us what you think. The LARB Radio Hour's executive producers are Eric Newman, Medea Ocher, and Kate Wolf. Our engineer is William Broughton. Production assistance is provided by William Broughton, Eleanor Duke, Lauren Kinney, and Jake Levins. Our theme song is by composer Imogen Teasley. Special thanks to Alan Minsky, who is no one's moral conscience, for production assistance, and to Emerson College for the use of their studio in Hollywood. Tom Lutz is the publisher and editor-in-chief of the Los Angeles Review of Books.